Well, today I'm going to finish up talking about the principle of harvest. We've been looking at the principle of harvest for the last six weeks as we're doing with dealing with kingdom principles. And we got all the way to, you know, the principle number four, which is the principle of the harvest. And uh, it's taken us a while to get through it because there's just so much in the principle of the harvest. We think, oh, it's, it's real simple. You, you, you know, you reap what you sow. But there's so much more to the harvest and to the way God designed his kingdom to operate than just simply say, you reap what you sow. And so we've broken that down. And so far, we've looked at six laws of the harvest. And when I say laws, let me just reiterate again, I don't mean mosaic-type laws where, you know, if you keep them, then you're, then you're blessed. And if you don't keep them, you know, then you're living under a curse. How many know that Jesus took the curse of sin and death for us? Amen? So these are laws that, are, that even predate Mosaic law. These are laws about how the world was created and how God designed it to function. And because Jesus Christ has come, we now have access to the fulfillment of how the world and his kingdom is supposed to operate because of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so there's nothing held back on the church in order uh, of what we can access because of what Jesus has done. Amen? And so when we talk about these laws of harvest, we're talking about things like the laws of gravity. You know, what goes up must come down, so to speak. And uh, that's how ingrained these are into creation. And creation is a reflection of God's kingdom. Everybody follow me? All right, so let's just quickly review. We've had six so far. Number one was we reap only what has been sown. So in other words, every harvest you ever take in is because someone put that seed in the ground. Whether at the very beginning God dropped that seed and it's just been taking care of itself going on from there, or some farmer laid it in the ground and then somebody else got to harvest it, or you sowed it yourself and then you reap the harvest. Everything we reap is something that has been sown. Number two, we reap in kind as we sow. So in other words, if you, you plant corn, you expect to get corn, right? And uh, if you plant wheat, you expect to get wheat. That we, uh, and so if you sow uh, finances, you can expect financial return. If you sow kindness, you can expect kindness in return. If you sow hope, you can expect to be hopeful in return. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen? And so that's the way the kingdom works. Uh, then number three is we reap in a different season than we sow. This is a hard one for the microwave generation because we want everything right now. But sometimes you sow and it's years before you reap the harvest. There are many seeds in this world that don't germinate every year. You put them in the ground and they're years before they come forth and bring out a harvest. And uh, one of my favorite pictures is the pictures of Death Valley in California where, you know, every once in a while it rains and there's seeds been in that ground scorching under the heat of 140, you know, degrees Fahrenheit. And then it'll rain and pfft, there's flowers everywhere. And they bring forth a harvest. And you're like, that's amazing. How does that happen? It's because sometimes we reap in a different season than we sow. And then number four is we reap more than we sow. And we're all grateful for that, you know? And remember I cut the apple open. There's like, you know, it was eight, 10 seeds in that apple. But if you put them in the ground, how many apples are in the seed? There's so much more harvest uh, than in, in the kingdom than what is sown. And God brings forth an abundance from little. Amen? And that's why we always say, you know, don't worry about, about it. God's got it under control. He is not suffering for lack. 
God's not concerned about how he's going to feed us. God's not concerned about how he's going to take care of us because he owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. He is, he is the owner and operator of the whole thing, amen? And he has an abundance. And we need to start thinking in terms of abundance and not in terms of lack. And then number five is we reap in proportion to how we sow. Now, sounds like it contradicts the last one, but it's talking about our side of the equation. On God's side, we just reap more than what we sow. But on our side, it's in proportion to our faith. And so if we are going to sow in faith and believe God, then God honors faith because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. And we talked about how faith is trusting God that there's going to be a harvest on it. So I trust God and I drop my part is to put that seed in the ground in faith. God's part is to bring forth more than I sowed. Everybody see that? Amen. And then uh, last week, number six, we talked about we reap the full harvest of good uh, only if we persevere. That there is a perseverance that a farmer or anybody has to do to uh, make sure that that seed that we've put in the ground is properly cared for, right? And so we have to persevere. You pull the weeds out. You keep the thing, you know, free of any obstacles and stuff that's going to destroy it. You, you know, you water that thing every once in a while. So sometimes the seed we put in the ground, we've got to curate it the same way. We've put that in the ground. We've got to, by faith, continue to stand on the word of God, declare his scripture, declare his truth over that seed. We've got to believe that God's going to bring forth the harvest. And we have to, we talked about having done all to stand. What's the Bible tell you you got to do? Stand, persevere. Let the wind blow, knock your own, doesn't matter. I'm standing on the promises of God, amen? amen? So that was the sixth one. Today is the last one. Today is the last one. And the last one, I think, is probably the one that uh, is maybe not as obvious to uh, the natural eye, but it is a, a, a law of harvest nonetheless. And, you know, we recognize that the choices we make, the choices we make, they all bear some kind of consequence, whether good or whether bad, right? You know, we make choices every day, and every day our choices have consequences, right? Sometimes the consequences that are bad have nothing to do with us. You know, we turned left uh, on the road, we headed down the road, and we just made a choice. I'm going to go left, and then there was a car pulled up in front of us. No fault of ours, but there was still a consequence from our choice, right? Had nothing to do with us. What We weren't doing anything. We're just minding our own business. And then pff, there it was. Other times, the consequences of our choices are clearly the result of making a bad choice. But most of the time, how many know the good things that happen to us are in alignment to us making choices in alignment with God's word. And we make good choices. And guess what? He is able and free then to just like an open freeway just to pour out his blessing because we chose what his word says to choose. Amen? Everybody understand that? But how do we handle it, though, when sometimes the harvest didn't turn out the way we wanted? When last year's harvest wasn't that bountiful? When, uh, you know, things, we looked at, the, at, at what took place, we looked at what we reaped, and it wasn't what we were expecting. How do we handle that? Or how do we handle it when the harvest was great? Do we just go, whoa, that was awesome? I'll sit down and take it easy this year, right? And today's harvest principle is, or law is this. Don't look back. Everybody say, don't look back. Don't worry, trust God. 
another way you might say it. But don't look back. One of the principles of the kingdom is that we don't get where we're going by looking back. When I was a kid, I used to plow with my dad. And so he'd get on the tractor, and we had an old, an old Massey Harris. Anybody ever remember the old Massey Harrises? You know, remember those? And we had some of the oldest farm equipment ever known to man that we pulled behind that thing. None of this high-tech stuff you see nowadays. Uh, everything we had had to have been from the 1920s or 30s when the Harris uh, ruled supreme. And so we're out there on this thing, and it had one of those old seats where no springs or coils, no, just a big metal bar, and it bounces up and down. How many know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and I used to sit on the tractor with my dad, and, and I'd look back while he's looking forward. And, uh, and, and he'd rarely ever look back at what he's doing. I said, you know, Dad, how come you don't, you don't look back and, and, you know, and just see how nice these rows are coming out? And he says, because if you spend all your time looking back, your rows won't be nice anymore. You got to set your eye, he told me, son, way down there in the field on some obstacle or some marker or something like a tree or whatever and just drive straight toward that. And when you do, the rows behind you are going to be nice and straight. He said, but if you're sitting on the tractor and, and you're doing this, Right? Constantly your tractor's going like that all over the place and then see what your rows are going to look like. And the reality is the kingdom of God is just like that. If we spend all of our time looking back, either upset that the rows weren't good enough or admiring our handiwork, in a very short order, we're going to be all over the place. The Bible says, set your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross and all of its shame. You keep your eye focused on him and you head directly toward him and what's behind you will largely take care of itself. Now you can look back every once in a while and go, God's good. God's good. But don't live in the past. Live in the present. Amen? Now this, this law of not looking back is I'm going to break it down to four subpoints today. Number one is we can't do anything about last year's harvest. Only God can. So whether it looked fruitful or not or whatever, only God can take care of it. It's God's job to make it grow. Amen? Number two, we must learn uh, to live with the consequences of our failures. So when we do mess up, we just learn to be able to live with it and to know that God's grace and his goodness are bigger than my failure. Amen? Number three, you have to commit yourself to this year's harvest. Everybody say, this year. This year, you commit yourself to this year's harvest. And number four, we must not judge our harvest by the standards of the world's idea of success. So that's the four things we're going to look at today. Father, we just ask for your help as we look at your scripture today. Lord, there's so much scripture here today. I just need your help to get through it all. Father, we thank you that, Lord... You are the God of grace. Hallelujah. And Lord, we know today that God, we can't fix anything by spending all of our time looking back. We have to look forward into what you have for us. And Lord, we ask you to help us with that truth and that revelation today in Jesus' name. Amen. So that first point, you can't do anything about last year's harvest. Whether you did it last year, last month, last week, or even yesterday, it's in the past. Everybody say, in the past. It's in the past, people. It's in the past. Don't live in the past. It's not a good place to live. There is no fruit in living in the past. There is no future in living in the past. We have no time machines that enable you to go back and change it, right? Haven't invented one yet. 
Might be handy if they ever do. But so far, it's not there, so you can't go back and change it. So why live there, right? Why make your focus the past when you can't do anything about it? You can't. All you can do is learn from it and then move forward. Forward, amen? Nothing we do today can in any way change the record of what was sown yesterday and what was, was or will be reaped as a consequence of what we sowed yesterday. It's either a harvest that's worthy of praise or worthy of burning or sometimes a little of both, right? I mean, you know, I've, we've had harvests like that. But whatever was produced stands as a record of our life on earth and we just have to learn by God's grace to be recognized that we can't do anything about the harvest on last year's seed. Problem with too many Christians is that they are forgetting the past and not reaching to what is before, Philippians 3, right? We're supposed to forget the past and reach toward what is ahead. The message of grace is not that God eliminates any of the consequences of our choices. It's not that there's no price to be paid for sin. That's not the message of grace. The message of grace is that the price for our sin and our failures was paid by Jesus. Amen? So yeah, there are, there are consequences to our decisions, but the eternal punishment for those consequences was paid by somebody else. Are you hearing me? And that's what enables us to forgive other people just as we have been forgiven ourselves because the consequences of sin and, uh, uh, and the punishment that comes with that are paid by Jesus. Bill Johnson says it this way. He says, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are unpunishable. And some Christians and their theology get all worked up about that. Well, that's not true, pastor. It is absolutely 100% true. You are unpunishable. That doesn't mean that if you went and blew all your money at a casino that you might not be a little hungry this week. Hello? That there may be some immediate consequences that you might have to endure. But if you take that addiction before the Lord and you say, God, forgive me, how many know that you now are unpunishable for that sin because it's under the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you hearing me? If that's not the gospel, then we're all in trouble. A heap of trouble. Because every single one of us has done stuff that is punishable. Hello? But Jesus took the punishment on the cross. Jesus bore the weight of my failure on the cross. And as a result of what Jesus wore on the cross, I am free. Hallelujah. It was placed on Jesus. <laughs> so if we fail to produce a crop worthy of the Lord's praise last year, understand this, you're brooding and wallowing over it and living in misery over it won't change a thing. Instead, simply ask for God's grace and then say, God, by your grace, I will do better this year. And God says, that's good, let's do that. We can, we can work with that. Amen? That's how God works. And if we did use the opportunities the Lord gave us and we produced a harvest of good things, God also says, don't get comfortable. Don't rest on your laurels. That was still last year's harvest. What about this year's harvest? Hello? Are you hearing me? How many know the farmer's got to plant crops every year? Right? He can't just say, man, that was good last year. I'm going to build me some big barns and we're not going to have to ever farm again. Woo, that was good. 
It doesn't work that way. Oh, you got to put seed back in the ground. You got to have a harvest again the next year and the next year and the next year. And that's what enables us to be able to spread the love. Just like you spread the crops, you spread the love. Amen? Is because we sow every single year. And we do that because whether it's failure or whether it was success, we do not live in the past. We move forward. We move forward. Looking back is not the way forward. We move forward. I love, uh, you know, I was going to probably get C.S. Lewis in here somewhere, but C.S. Lewis uh, in his book, The Joyful Christian, page 79, if you're looking for it, he says this. He says, many religious people lament that the first religious fervors of their conversion have died away. In other words, you know, they lament the fact that they, they don't feel as warm and fuzzy as they did when they first got saved. They think, sometimes rightly, but not, I believe always, that their sins account for this. So in other words, he's saying, yeah, sometimes your sin can, can get in the way and, and you can make you feel less warm and fuzzy with Jesus, right? He said, um, they, ev- they may even try by pitiful efforts of will to revive what now seem to have been the golden days, right? But were those fervors, the operative word is those, ever intended to last? Now think about this. Listen to what he says. It would be rash, he says, to say that there is any prayer which God never grants. But the strongest candidate is the prayer we might express in the single word, encore. And how should the infinite repeat himself? All space and time are too little for him to utter himself in them even once. It's how big our God is. And he's saying, you know, we just want, we want that whole thing over again. But, but God's not into you know, repeats. God wants to do something fresh. See, I'm doing a new thing, says the Lord. Amen. And he goes, and the joke, he says, or the tragedy of it all is that these golden moments in the past, which are so tormenting if we erect them up as a norm, are entirely nourishing and wholesome and enchanting if we're content to accept them for what they are, memories. So if we go, man, wasn't that awesome that time we had 1916? You know, when we were standing around and the Holy Ghost was moving, that's a great thing. And you can write about it and document it and people can read about it and go, wow, that was awesome. But if we live there and we want God to make it happen exactly the same, we get stuck. And God's not into that. How many know we don't live in the same world? So we don't want God to move the same way. We need something fresh. Amen. He said, properly bedded down in the past, which we do not miserably try to conjure back, they will send up exquisite growths. Listen to this. Leave the bulbs alone and the new flowers will come up. Grub them up and fondle them and sniff them and handle them to get last year's blooms and you'll get nothing. You'll get nothing. But put them in the ground. Leave those incredible moments of God in the past and fondly remember what he's done, but put them in the past, they will bring forth a harvest in the future, but you have to let it go. I hear so many Christians say, oh God, do it again, do it again. He doesn't want to do it again. He wants to do a new thing. God wants to do a new thing. Amen. I hear people say to me, oh, I just remember how nice it was when there was only 35 people in the church and we just, we could all get together and hug one another. And I knew everybody by name and we sang Kumbaya and it was just so good, pastor. Can we do it again? No, the only way we could do it again is if we chopped the congregation up and made it, you know, like a fifth or a sixth of its size. Why would we want to do that? 
Oh, but it was so wonderful and comfortable and cozy. You know, I realize there's, there's good things about only 35 people getting together. But there's good things about 350 people getting together too. Amen? And what we do is we don't live in the past and, and hang on to that. Instead, we say, God, show me how you want to make a path forward for me where I can love other people and, and enable them to feel the same kind of joy that I felt when I first came to Christ. Amen? Secondly, so we can't do anything about the past, right? Secondly, we have to learn to live with the consequences of our failures, and there's a caveat to this, without shame. Everybody say, without shame. We have to learn to live with the consequences of our past failures without shame. Shame is not part of God's economy. Are you hearing me? It's not something he uses to try and get you to do better. He's not motivated, or does he, nor does he use shame as one of his weapons in the arsenal of advancing you in the kingdom of God. Shame, everybody say, is not part of the game. Say it again. Shame is not part of the game. God doesn't work that way. I've made lots of mistakes in my life. But one of the great liberating things for me is that I don't live in shame over it. It's not part of his kingdom. It isn't. Conviction, sure, that's part of his kingdom. God convicts us to get us to move forward. But he doesn't use shame. Shame is one of the heaviest weights that Christians fasten around their heart and drag them to the bottom of despair. Shame is a weapon the enemy uses to handcuff you and to literally strip you of your potential. Sure, there's consequences to my past decisions, but I don't get weighted down with shame over it. I've cast it upon Jesus. He has forgiven me. I walk in liberty. Are you hearing me this morning? And some people say, well, pastor, if we preach that kind of a gospel, people will feel free to just do whatever they want. Well, you know, Paul understood that that was one of the dangers of the gospel. So many times he, he tried to cut it off at the pass. He said, if, if, he said, if where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, does that mean we should sin so that grace can more abound? And he said, no. He said, we die to sin. We don't want sin operating in our presence anymore. Paul also said, everything is permissible to me. I can do as I please, but... Not everything's beneficial. And so again, he asks us to analyze our life as uh, in the presence and the idea and the understanding of the kingdom moving forward. But he's saying very clearly, we're liberated from the past and from the shame of the past. Amen. So how do we avoid living with shame and condemnation from our past? Well, by following some of these scriptures. First of all, by confessing our failures to God, this wipes the slate clean. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from what? All unrighteousness. Psalm 32, 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Woo! Are you hearing me? So it's by confessing our failures to God and he wipes the slate clean. By knowing and resetting, resting, I should say, in the fact that we're forgiven through Christ. 
and we can move ahead for the Lord, regardless of the past. Psalm 51, verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Amen? By learning from our failures, use them as a backdoor to success. Psalm 119.59, I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Psalm 119, verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. So what he's saying in these verses is you take the, the, the affliction, you take the, the failure and you use that as, as a motivation to go forward and walk in righteousness. So I look at the, my, my life and the pathway I was on before Christ and it motivates me to be a better person today. I say, God, I don't want to be remembered for that. I want to move forward. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, I read the other day an article about uh, the gentleman that the Nobel Peace Prize was named after. And uh, not very many of us ever get an opportunity to read our own obituary, but he picked up the morning paper one day after his brother had died. And the person that wrote the obituary thought that Alfred Nobel had died, the person we know as the founder of the Nobel Peace Prize. And he read the obituary, and the obituary just was scathing, and it was about him right? The author of the obituary thought he had died, not his brother. And so it was just scathing about him as he reads that he was called the doctor of death. He was called the merchant of, of madness. And he read all these descriptions of himself. And you might be saying, why? Well, because his family was, was one of the, the developers of modern um, uh, nitroglycerin. And, and he, his family had built weapons and munitions factories all over Europe. And, and even though he wasn't the one responsible for administering those bombs, he was responsible for the technology that made those bombs. And as he read his own obituary, and he looked at it, he thought, is that how I want to be remembered? Is that my legacy? And so what he did is he, he took all of his fortune and he dedicated it to the creation of the Nobel Peace Prize. And the money, the millions of dollars, uh, probably billions in today's dollars that he had, he dedicated to changing his, uh, his future and his pedigree. And today, if you heard his name, you wouldn't think of bombs or, or think of anything. You think only of the Nobel Peace Prize or the Nobel Prize for Science and the Nobel Prize for this and the Nobel Prize for that. Nobel is considered in, in connection with nobility. And probably most of us probably thought it was something like that. It wasn't a person's name, but it was about somebody reading about what others thought and said, I can do better. And that's exactly how we have to be in Christ. The past is behind us. He's not known for making bombs. He's known for promoting peace. Amen? And we can do that as well. Third thing we have to do is we have to commit ourselves to this year's harvest. I'm going to have to go fast here. We have to commit ourselves to this year's harvest. You know, last year's harvest was great. How many know that uh, we had a good year in 2020 as a church? 2021 was good. 2022 has been even better. But I'm not going to live off of, you know, 2023 isn't going to be just great just because 2022 was good, right? We have to not, uh, you know, live off of last year's harvest but commit ourselves to this year's harvest. We have to press on and we have to continue to sow for the future or there won't be a future there for us and for our children, 
We don't rest on our past accomplishments. We say, God, thank you for what you've done. But Lord, we want to be used even more as we go forward. Hallelujah. Philippians 3, 14, 17, Paul said this, and he summed it up perfectly. He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. And, you know, his point is, is that, you know, we, we've established a good thing. We've got a good thing going here. We've got, you know, an, an excellent record. We've seen God do good things. We've seen great harvest. But we press on toward the goal to which Christ called us forward. Amen? Hallelujah. The harvest requires us to commit to going forward, not looking back. And we go forward by doing the right thing today. My future is determined by the right things I do today, by the seed I sow today, by the investments I make today. Amen? I invest today and I sow seed today, so there's a harvest tomorrow. Praise the Lord. The kingdom of God is about this season, today. Amen. And finally, let's not judge our harvest by the standards of the world. Hallelujah. In his book, Failure, uh, by Erwin Lutzer, he said this, Perhaps we have forgotten that not many wise, noble, and mighty are chosen by God. We judge ourselves and others by a false standard. A few noble, wise, and gifted are called, but they're the exceptions. God usually chooses the weak. He chooses the ordinary to despise the wise, right? Why then do so many of us believe that we are failures? Perhaps it's because we have a false notion of success. Because we're comparing ourselves to the world's ideas of success. I don't care compare myself to the world's idea of success. I compare myself to what Christ called me to be. And I want to live up to what he called me to be. Success is being obedient to the Lord and growing in character like the Lord not whether it's numbers or names or position or power or prestige or possessions or activities or abilities or acceptance by other people. It's by recognizing God has placed his hand on me and I listen to him and I do what he says. Dr. Paul Youngi Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world, said, what's the secret to your success? And he said simply, I pray and I obey. Whatever God told him to do, that's what he did. It was a real simple formula for success. But in our world today, we use some really strange yardsticks for measuring success, right? And what happens is, is you can get yourself in serious trouble. Serious trouble. Dennis Prager wrote a book called Happiness is a Serious Problem. And in that book, he talks about the, the hindrances to living a happy life. And one of them, he said, is the comparison syndrome, and which we're talking about here. And he said, there are so many people that live by comparing themselves and their success to other people. And he goes, there are Hollywood actors whose contracts say they have to be paid whatever the highest paid actor was being paid that year. There are athletes in every sport that say, you can't pay me less than this quarterback on this team or this quarterback on that team. They're motivated by comparison and they'll feel less than if they got less money than this person over here. 
that their identity is tied to this monetization of their performance. And it is an incredibly dangerous place to live your life. Because what happens when you can't play football anymore? What happens when you can't act anymore? What happens when you don't have those opportunities anymore? Your identity is destroyed and you end up feeling like a failure and living like a failure. But if our identity is in Christ, then we're able to perform and do the things that he calls us to do. And whether, uh, you know, we're pastoring thousands or whether we're leading a small group in our house, it doesn't matter. If it's what God called me to do, my identity's in him and I'm good. Amen? Praise the Lord. I remember when I was in Bible college how easy it is to <laughs> use world standards and how funny some of those outcomes were. So I remember we were in Bible college and I was listening to people have a discussion uh, about their class and, and, and the professor and all that kind of stuff. And the one guy says, look at this. He says, I got an A. And another guy says, the professor gave me an F. Do you see the little subtlety there? I got an A, but he gave me an F, right? He didn't say, he gave me an A, and I got an F. No, 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 I got an A, but he gave me an F. As if the F wasn't because, you know, you wrote a lousy paper. It's because the professor is using some standard to measure you, of which is not right. But the guy who got an A, it was all about him. All about him. I got an A, but he gave me an F. And in so many areas of life, we think like that. When we're successful, we go, oh, God, you must be, you must be so happy with me. <laughs> I don't know how you ever did it without me, really. You know, and there are so many people that think you're, you're irreplaceable. I got news for you, you're not. Three seconds after you're dead, the world's still going to be going. It's just true. There won't, there won't be any pause. They'll, it'll just keep going. It will. It will. And there'll be people that'll miss you. That's good and that's all true. But, you know, the world's not going to fall apart if you're not there. And some of you live so tied to your careers that you think, if I miss one day at work, the whole place will fall apart. I got news for you. It won't. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. And your life is not to be measured just by your career. Hello? Are you hearing me this morning? Are you hearing me? And we as Christians have got to stop using those kind of worldly measurements to measure ourselves. Instead, we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we recognize that my identity was written in Him. I'm a child of God. That is who I am. And I have been born again by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And my place is secured around the table with the Lord because of what he did for me. And because that's whose I am, then he says, well, here's what I'm going to call you to go out and do. And so to the world, you know, who am I? I'm a pastor. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a friend to certain individuals and I'm a casual acquaintance to others. And that's, that's who I am in terms of the world's eyes. But my identity comes from him. You know, in, I don't know, I'm 60, I'm 50, I should say nine right now. Soon, I'll be 65. I don't know what I'm going to do at 65. 
Some people say, well, aren't you going to retire? My wife's like, you're going to retire, right? You're going to retire, right? right? And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, I, I'll, be, I'll be moving in that direction. That's for sure. But you know what I've realized is that somebody else will have this job and Desert Stream will be here still. If it isn't, then it's, I, I, did, I did something wrong because it's not about me. It's about him. Amen? And, and we have to constantly point people back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep directing them and their identity to him and not get caught in the world's schemes of comparison. You can have everything in this world that the world describes as success. You can have money, you can have fame, you can have yachts and, 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 and all kinds of wonderful, hang, a, a house in the Hamptons and another one in Florida and all that kind of stuff and can be a complete and utter failure because you didn't walk with Christ. I have a desk blotter for years on my desk and I had written underneath it as I sat down every day to work, these words greeted me and it said, you've only one life, it'll soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Every day as I sat down, those words came up off of that desk blotter and said, today, do things that will last. Do things that will last. Praise the Lord. Well, come to the end of talking about the laws of the harvest. It's a big topic. And as I come to the end of it, Why have I spent so much time talking about the kingdom principle of harvest? It's because in the kingdom, there should be growth. And we're going to hear more about that next week as Mark starts, because the next principle, kingdom principle we talk about, principle number five is closely tied to principle four was the harvest. But everything in God's economy grows. From fungus to people to families, they grow. And they grow because the kingdom is a growth kingdom. And harvest is important to the heart of God because he wants us to grow. When we die and we come before the Lord, God's not going to go, whoa, man, that, that Maserati you bought, mm, 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 mm. No, he's going to look around and say, where, 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 are the, where are the other souls? Where are the other people you brought with you into my kingdom? Where are they? Where are the other people that you taught to tap into my presence, that you taught? how to prosper, that you taught how to be blessed, that you taught how to live in victory. Where are they? He's going to scan their eyes and look for those people because he looks for harvest from what we did. Amen? When I stand before the Lord, I don't want to stand before him empty-handed. I want him to be able to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to your kingdom of rest. Amen?
And we spent these six weeks talking about harvest. Some of you are going, but I thought there were seven. I did two in the first week, remember? So we've been talking about these six, six weeks of harvest because God wants you to grow and he wants you, and Mark's going to talk about this next week, to bear much fruit. Are you hearing me? So let's stand together this morning. There's, there, I teed it up for you, Mark. Is that pretty good? There you go. Teeing it up for him. Man, you can't fail now. That's just, that's just good gravy right there. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I know many of you very well in this room, and I know that many of you have a lot of seed in the ground that you have sown, you've invested, and, and I don't mean just money or physical crops, but I mean time and heart and prayer, and you have poured your life into other people, into ministries, into programs, into uh, all kinds of things. God wants to remind you today that there's a harvest on what you sow. Amen? And so what I want you to do today is I want you to take your hands and reach up to the sky like this. And I want you to just grab and slowly close into a fist like that. And in, in the count of three, I'm going to get you to just pull that harvest down into this realm today. And we're going to pull that harvest into this realm. And by faith, we're going to symbolically grab a hold and just pull it into this realm right now. One, two, three. Pull it down. Father, we thank you that, Lord, everything that we have, every harvest we have in this realm begins in the heavenlies. That, Father, as we lift our prayers up to you, Lord, it's as it's done in the heavens, the Bible says, as it is in heaven, so shall it be on earth. And, Father, as we take a hold of the, the, the things that we've sown and the harvest that's on it, we pull it down into this realm and we say, God, manifest your uh, growth and your harvest in this season, in this place, in Jesus' name. Father, we're believing for a harvest this fall such as we've never seen before. God, we are just trusting for many souls to come to Christ, many people to get a hold of the truth of the word of God, many people to find freedom and liberty, many people to be blessed and to be prospered. Father, many people, Lord, to grow and to be rich in Christ. And Father, we're asking it today because we believe in the laws of the harvest. And Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, before you go, Pastor Mark, you got some people out there handing out stuff? They're good to go? We got, we got I don't know what it is, ice cream, frozen stuff, right? It's cool. I know you're all, you know, already melting in here because it's so warm in here. Right, Kim? It's just, it's just so warm in here. You should stand up here. Like, I mean, I'm, I, like, literally, that's sweat on my forehead. I'm telling you. I saw Kim down there earlier in her coat. <laughs> you know, she's, oh, yeah, ice cream. That's what I need right now. But uh, seriously, we, uh, we, we thought it was going to be a little warmer today, more like yesterday. But you know what? Eh, uh, it's going to be a good day. Hang around, talk to some people, be blessed. See you next week. Don't forget, kids are going to be prayed for at the end of the service next week, and we don't want your children to miss out on it. Make sure they're here next Sunday. God bless you. Have an amazing week in Christ.